Hello, welcome back to another edition of the Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by my Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you guys your Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. And as the previous episodes, um, Impact Wrestling will not be covered because Impact Wrestling, they're going through a uh, transitional phase back to uh, TNA Wrestling being rebranded back as that. And they're getting themselves geared up for their first pay-per-view in January. So they did not air any type of new type of episode to kind of keep their uh, storylines or any type of matches going into their first pay-per-view back to being rebranded as TNA. They play the best of for Impact Wrestling. So that's the reason why there was no Impact Wrestling review on this episode. Now, with that out of the way, let's start the show. So we go into Monday Night Raw. Raw will open up with the Judgment Day coming to the ring. And it's your typical Judgment Day uh, introduction. Where the Judgment Day all rise. We run WWE. Yada, yada, yada. But the difference with this would be. R-Truth would come out. R-Truth. Who's been messing with Judgment Day. For the last couple weeks. Who R-Truth thinks he's a part of Judgment Day. He comes out. And he just basically gets at them for saying. You guys left me out of the opening for Raw, I like opening up Raw, and R-Truth would go there, J.D. Madonna would play the hater, telling Truth to get out of here, Priest will have to calm J.D. and both Dom down for a minute, Truth would tell the Judgment Day that last week, that was the initiation, getting beat up, getting jumped by the Judgment Day, he has no problem with that, however, he felt that he was hurt, both physically and mentally, when Damian Priest told R-Truth that he didn't like him, and Truth told him that, I know that's a lie, because I can see it in your eyes, and when he said that, you can see Damian Priest just start smiling, and had to turn away, again, he's breaking character, Finn, he's smiling, he's breaking character, I mean, R-Truth is such a likable guy, and just to see Priest and Finn both have to stop both JD and Dom, it tells you how much, in real life, they actually do, like, truth and how they're even leaning into truth with this whole storyline here with truth acting like he's a part of judgment day anyway long story less long jd madonna would try to say that he wants to get truth out of here truth would say well we're gonna have a match uh christmas style matches were part of the christmas episode here well a holiday episode we're gonna have a miracle 34th street fight and the loser will leave the judgment day JD, he would say, that's not happening, that's not happening. Priest, he would tell JD, hold on one second. Rio had to step in and look at Priest like, are you serious? Priest would tell him, that's kind of not a bad idea. So, you get JD, you get Truth, in a Miracle 34th Street fight, Don will be out there to try to assist JD in the match against Truth, but Truth would ultimately end up winning. When Truth and JD were fighting on the top turnbuckle, JD would pull Truth and they both would land on the table, crashing through it. However, Truth would land on top of JD. And once they smash through the table, Truth's body is on top of JD and the referee would make the count. One, two, three. So Truth beats JD. And now it seems JD Madonna is out of the Judgment Day. But not really. That match was never really authorized as a loser leaves Judgment Day matchup. So, JD is still part of Judgment Day because you would get a backstage segment way later in the night where you see all of Judgment Day busting on JD except for Rhea. And 
that's basically that. Again, JD, he's still a part of Judgment Day. But Truth, he ends up getting a win, so that's a good uh, moment there for Truth. Next up, we will have Nia Jax coming to the ring. Nia Jax will be in the middle of the ring, and before she can say anything, Becky Lynch will come walking towards the ring. Nia will leave the ring, Becky will get a mic, and now you just get a back and forth between Becky and Nia. Becky would tell Nia that, hey, if you have something to say important, if you have something to say to me, I'm here, you can say it to my face. Nia will say, I didn't have anything to say to you. As a matter of fact, I was out here to announce myself entering the Royal Rumble. Becky will say the fans don't care and that Nia won't face her because Becky is basically the greatest of all time and that Nia is constantly ducking her. And it's bad that Nia basically rode the coattails of everyone to be in the spot that she's in right now. She rode the coattails of who her cousins were and now she's riding the coattails of basically being the woman that broke the news of the greatest of all time. Nia tells Becky that she won't be fighting Becky because Becky makes too much money for the company and that she'll squash Becky and that won't make good for business. So we get that between the two. Um, Becky would just get underneath Nia so much that Nia would call for a ref and try to get a match, but it was all a ploy. Nia doesn't get into the ring. As a matter of fact, she gets in the ring, but she slides out. And said the match will only happen on her terms, and that will happen on day one, January 1st edition of Monday Night Raw in her hometown of San Diego. So we have that match set up for day one. Nia, she will leave the ring, continue to talk smack to Becky. Becky couldn't take it so much. Becky would leave the ring, run after Nia, get on her back, start choking her. You will see uh, backstage officials come out to get Becky off of Nia. And when they do this, you see Nia turn around, go over to Becky, and just punch her in the back, and Becky would drop. And that's the end of the segment. Again, we're trying to prove that Nia is an unstoppable force. She's bigger, she's tougher than Becky, and Becky has to pull off a miracle. That's why I think we're leading into the match at day one with Becky and Nia Jax, but again, only time will tell with that. So that's what we have there. Next up, we have the Intercontinental Championship matchup. We have Gunther defending the Intercontinental title against The Miz. Gunther will retain his Intercontinental Championship by pinfall when he would hit uh, Miz with a powerbomb, then the Rainmaker, which is a ripcord lariat, then another powerbomb on The Miz to retain the Intercontinental title. And this match here was the match that I believe that we should have gotten at Survivor Series. For the story that they were telling, I understand why we didn't get it. Well, we got a basic match of is going against Gunther at Survivor Series. And again, I get why they did this because this match here was do or die for Miz. Miz had to pull everything out of his arsenal in this match. You saw Miz hit a springboard crossbody. You see him pulling more moves out of his uh, repertoire, a bag of tricks, the same way John Cena did whenever John Cena was doing his whole United States Open Challenge. And he just started busting moves. We start seeing Miz busting moves here, different type of submission holds that uh, Daniel Bryan or Triple H used to do like the Indian Deathlock that he did on Gunther in the ring. You saw him do a, um, I'm not going to say satellite DDT, but like a tilt to world DDT, that move that he's been using more frequently on a Gunther or a bigger opponent because they're able to move around with the body type that Miz is able to do to execute that move. Miz is pulling out different moves that we have not seen him do. And in this match with Gunther, he even hit a 
uh, Avalanche Skull Crusher finale. And at multiple points in this match, people were to the point that they were cheering for Miz to take the title off, the, off of Gunther. And you had hope spots here where the Miz would hit the Skull Crusher finale. It seemed like he's about to win. And that's a no. And when he hit the uh, Avalanche Skull Crusher finale, and there was at that moment where Miz just had to fold his arm over to Gunther. And when he was about to do it, Gunther starts rolling out of the ring. And you hear this collective sigh of awe from the crowd because they want to see Gunther lose. They want to see Miz take the title off of Gunther. This was a good match between Miz and Gunther. And Miz, he was actually able to kind of unarm Gunther because Gunther's biggest weapon in his arsenal is his hand to chop you in the chest. Whenever Gunther tried to chop Miz at a ring post, Miz would duck it and you see Gunther's hand hit the ring post. That took a weapon out of Gunther's arsenal and Miz started going after the hand a little bit and started making sure that Gunther couldn't chop with that hand. So Gunther, he had to go off to a different thing. He had to be more violent. He had to do the clotheslines, the uh, drop kicks. I mean, he had to get busy, but again, Miz and Gunther, they got busy in this match, and that was a good match. This was a pay-per-view quality match between the two, but with Gunther retaining his Intercontinental title, that means the Miz cannot challenge for the Intercontinental Championship again as long as Gunther is champion. So, we'll have to wait and see who's going to take the title out of Gunther now. Now, later in the night, you see Gunther backstage. He's being applauded by the rest of Imperium, Ludwig Kaiser, and Giovanni Vinci, Gunther would tell them, I don't know why you guys are jolly. The only person who's been seen winning in this group has basically been me. You two got to get yourselves together. Gunther would tell them that he's going to be taking a couple weeks off because he's earned it and that they have these couple weeks to get themselves together and try to figure out and get on the winning track before he gets back. So he basically puts them on a time schedule because if they're not on a winning uh streak when he comes back there's going to be more likely hell to pay so we get that we see Gunther move away from Imperium and you see Kofi Claus walk up to them Kofi tries to give Ludwig Kaiser a gift Ludwig would be uh, hesitant at it but he would eventually end up taking it he reveals it and ends up being a lump of coal Kofi ends up laughing Kaiser smashes it on the floor and just stares at Kofi now this wouldn't be the last time that we see these two interact but i'll get to that in a minute now after this we would have shinsuke nakamura backstage shinsuke nakamura would do his own version of um i believe it was night before christmas and he re like reverbs it into the nightmare before christmas and he starts putting out a poem about how he's going to stop cody rose and finish from finishing his story calls him every type of name in the book but the thing that really gets underneath Cody that I know it probably did was whenever Shinsuke said that his father was inbred so once Nakamura is done reading off his the American Nightmare before Christmas you see Cody blindside Nakamura and you start seeing them brawling from the backstage area into the arena Cody would uh try to get at Nakamura as much as he can and as he's beating up on Nak you see security get Cody off of Nakamura as Nakamura's now climbing over the crowd barricade to be around the ring. Cody would move security off of him to get at Nakamura, and he ends up doing this. He ends up getting Nakamura on top of the commentary table, about to hit the crossroad, but a security guard would pull Nakamura off of Cody. Nakamura would roll into the ring, 
and you see this moment of Cody just standing on top of the commentary table and Nakamura's in the ring and you just see Cody and Nakamura just staring at one another and Nak, he would just slide out of the ring and walk to the back. So this issue between Cody and Nakamura is not over. Again, I think they're going to constantly build this up until the Royal Rumble and then we're probably going to get those two in the Rumble with one another and Cody's more than likely probably going to eliminate Nakamura, but if it's the other way around with Nakamura eliminated Cody, that'd be crazy. But again, we'll have to wait and see if this rivalry will make it all the way to the Rumble. Now, next up, we will have the Women Tag Team Championships being defended. We'll have Chelsea Green and Piper defending the titles against Katana Chance and Caden Carter. We will have new WWE Women's Tag Team Champions uh, when Katana Chance and Caden will hit the after party, which is the neckbreaker 450 splash combo onto Chelsea Green to become your new WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. Um, Katana and Kaden winning the WWE Tag Team titles, I believe this is the first time a actual tag team from NXT has actually won the WWE Tag Team titles and the NXT Tag Team titles. I believe they're the first. I'm not counting Ronda Rousey and Shannon Baszler because they were a main event uh, personnel. I can't count Dakota Kai and... Uh, what was homegirl's name? Raquel Rodriguez, because they were not a team when they won the tag team titles up on the main roster, the WWE tag titles. Dakota won it with EO, while Raquel won it with Aaliyah. I don't believe there's any other team that was actually a team from NXT that won the NXT Women's Tag Team titles to go to the main roster and win the WWE Women's Tag Team titles. I don't know any other at the moment. So, Katie and Katana, they had the first. Um, it's kind of what's supposed to happen because they've been teaming so much in NXT. They were the underdog tag team in NXT. And once they finally got their shot and they held those tag titles and they lost them this year. And then they ultimately uh, just had to go up to the main roster. And then they were just, again, another tag team on the main roster where the women's division, they're trying to figure out what they're doing with the tag titles and for them now to win them and hold them, hopefully they get to show them off and get to be that tag team, be those tag team champions that those WWE tag team, women tag team championships truly need. They need to be on television. They need to be in high, exciting style matches the way that Caden and Katana can give. So I'm glad for them. But also I want to give congratulations to uh, Chelsea and Piper because Chelsea and Piper, they were great tag team champions. They were defending tag team champions, but also the character work. I believe that Chelsea brought out more out of Piper with her just basically being Chelsea's bodyguard and you see uh, the costumes that Piper would have to wear behind Chelsea and again being the bodyguard for someone that's so prissy someone that's so high pitched voice up and wants to be basically a complainer it was great hopefully they'll do more with Chelsea and Piper down the line but again congratulations to Katana and Caden Carter for being the WWE uh, Women's Tag Team Champions. Now, next up, we will have Akira Tozawa going against Ivar. Ivar will win the match by hitting an Avalanche World Strongest Slam on uh, Tozawa. Nothing more needs to be said here. I mean, Akira Tozawa, he had a good showing with Ivar. He was able to fight back. We all knew Ivar was going to win, but uh, Akira Tozawa, he was able to do his thing, but Ivar, he ends up winning. Uh, next up, we will have Seth Rollins coming down to the ring. Seth Rollins would talk about how he had to get that conversation last week out of the way. 
And now he has his sights set on defending the World Heavyweight Championship against Drew McIntyre at day one. And once you say this, Drew McIntyre comes down to the ring. Drew would tell Seth that he's not here to fight with him. As a matter of fact, he tells Seth that he's proud of him for refusing to turn a blind eye or kiss butt when it comes to CM Punk. He told CM Punk the truth, and that makes Seth a real leader, and he just wants to, again, congratulate him. He tells, well, Drew starts going into him self-reflecting, how he's been talking about family and how he got to visit family, and he's starting to think, has his sacrifice been worth it? For missing all the family time that he's been missing. And he gets to strike a nerve with Seth because he starts making the comparison of how Seth doesn't know how this feels, but his wife Becky does because Becky's in the same boat as Drew. They had to move away from their family, go to a different country and to pursue their dreams. And now that they're here, they have those difficult conversations about was the sacrifice worthy? Was it worth it to be away from their families? And long story less long, Drew harkens is too that he needs to win that world championship from Seth Rollins. He doesn't want it. He needs it to validate him missing that time away from his family to validate that it was all worth it. So once Drew gets done saying this, Rollins looks into Drew and starts telling him, man, you haven't learned anything. You, I don't know if I can take you seriously because of Drew's basically actions haven't matched the words that he's been saying. Drew's all about family, respect, but what he's been doing these past couple weeks, he's been complaining and moaning all about his shortcomings and basically just not pointing the fingers at himself, but constantly pointing the fingers at others for why he can't get the job done. He wants Drew to understand that he could be champion, but he just got to focus on himself and constantly focus on himself instead of pointing the fingers. Rollins will look Drew and tell him, last week I told a man that I hated him, and that's the truth. But he looks into Drew and tells him, I don't hate you. I pity you. And Rollins would straight up tell Drew, listen, I'll see you in the next couple of weeks at day one and he just drops the mic and that kind of sets Drew off. Drew would turn Seth around, start beating up on Seth, tell him that he doesn't need his freaking pity. Seth would fight back. He would get Drew out of the ring, even hit a uh, suicide dive. But then once they're outside of the ring, Drew, he's too big. He uh, throws Seth into the LED uh, barricade, beat up on him a little bit. They hit him with a inside out, uh, Alabama slam on the steel steps. And that's how this segment would end. So again, Drew McIntyre, he has respect for Seth. You could tell it, but he wants that Whitewood Championship to prove that he making these sacrifices was worth it. And Seth, he just wants to continue to be world champion. He wants Drew to take responsibility. So again, we're going to have to wait and see what happens at day one. And again, I feel that that Whitewood Championship matchup is going to be great. Now, next up, we have Kofi Claus come out. Kofi's out here uh, handing out presents to the crowd once again. And this time he was attacked by Imperium. Imperium didn't let go of what Kofi did to them earlier. And as they're beating up on Kofi, out walks out, made of in Jey Uso to make the save. Uh, Jey Uso starts beating up on Imperium. He points at Kaiser and tells him that he wants a match with him. So we get that matchup. Jey Uso going against Kaiser. Jey Uso would win the match by 
pitiful when he would hit a spear and then go up and hit the Uso splash on Ludwig Kaiser for the win. Now, Giovanni Vinci, he would interfere in this matchup, but Kofi would come out and hit uh, Vinci with a Trouble in Paradise to take him out. And that will lead to Jay doing what he had to do to beat Ludwig Kaiser. So Jay Uso, he wins. That's great. Uh, people are saying that Jay Uso might be the next guy up to go against Gunther to take the Intercontinental title off of Gunther. I mean, I can see Jay fighting Gunther, but do I see him winning the Intercontinental title off of him now? No, not yet. I don't see him being the guy. I think they're still trying to wait for Chad Gable because Chad Gable made the promise to his daughter that he'll be the guy to take it off of uh, Gunther. So I think they're going to try to reheat that up probably around February-ish or even January. We can even have Chad Gable be the guy to throw Gunther out of the Royal Rumble. Again, there's a lot of ways we can go about it. But do I think Jay's going to be the guy? No. Do I think Jay might have a match with Gunther down the line? Yes, but he's not going to be the guy. Now, off to the main event. Creed Brothers going against the Judgment Day for the WWE Undisputed Tag Team Championships. Uh, the Judgment Day, they would retain their tag team titles by pinfall when Damian Priest would hit Julius Creed with a South of Heaven chokeslam to win the match to retain their tag team titles. The Creed Brothers, they showed out in this main event. Um, they did what they did. If you watch from them from the time in NXT, you know what they would do. You know how powerful Brutus is, you know how powerful Julius is, you know how agile Julius is, you know how uh, speedful Brutus is. I mean, as I've been praising the name the Creed Brothers, they are literally a hybrid tag team that can do absolutely everything. They are the new edition version of the Steiners, and that's not, not trying to be bad. That's all good. I think everybody would know if they watched wrestling or from a long time, they studied it. The Steiner Brothers were a great tag team. You have the new version of them here with the Creed Brothers. In WWE, they're doing good. They're letting you see them from uh, being a team that got pulled up from NXT, having a match with uh, Alpha Academy, which was eh, I, to them beating the gauntlet and running it, to them now facing for the tag titles against a team like Priest and Finn, who are a good tag team. And they had a great match, and Priest and Finn, they allowed the Creed Brothers to show out. I mean, Finn and Priest both ate Brutus Balls to prove how close the Creed Brothers were to winning the tag team titles. But again, it's just not their time yet. Do I think they could have won it there? Yeah. But that'll just be a fast track team and they'll be like, okay, well, they won the tag team titles. What's left for them to do? No, they got to be on the grind. They got to be climbing up that mountain. So again, I'm happy that the Creed Brothers uh, didn't win. So that allows them to continue to go up. But the Judgment Day, they win the tag team uh, matchup. And they are still your WWE Undisputed Tag Team Champions. And that is your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, we will go over to NXT. NXT will open up with Fallon Henley going against Tiffany Stratton. Fallon would win the match by pinfall when you see Fallon and Tiffany both trade off pinning uh, maneuvers. But Fallon would get... Uh, Tiffany with a roll-up to win the matchup. After the match, Tiffany would attack Tiff uh, Fallon from behind. God, tongue-tied here. And you see Tiffany get the better of Fallon outside the ring, constantly beat her up, taking her to the back. And now that Fallon's on the ground, you see Tiffany grab a mop, start putting the mop on Fallon. And you see Fallon just start yelling and like, ugh, 
and you see Tiffany grab a trash can, throwing trash into Fallon, calling her a loser, saying that she's below her, calling her trash. So this is where all this whole rivalry between Fallon and Tiffany is like brooded in. Tiffany feels that she's better than Fallon. Fallon feels that Tiffany feels that she's better. So that's where this whole thing is leading up to with them probably having a uh, lights out hardcore style matchup between the two ladies. Again, Tiffany, she's done a lot of those matches and I think she's good at those. Fallon, I think she's going to prevail in that matchup when it happens because Fallon's the good person here against a bad evil person like Tiffany. So when that match happens, it will happen and I think Fallon's going to win, but Tiffany's just uh, proven how much she's able to be a mean girl and that's what the funny thing is, Tiffany came in at NXT as Daddy Little Rich Girl, kind of dropped the Daddy Little Rich Girl deal, and now she's proven out to be a mean girl. So that's basically another step up of the evolution from Daddy's Little Rich Girl. So again, I like that we still kept that there. So again, still character development. I like it. I like where the storyline and the rivalry could end up being going uh, here. Now, next up, we'll go backstage. You see Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes in the back in the locker room. Carmelo Hayes is apologizing to Trick for uh, hitting him in the head with the NXT title last week. Trick tells him they're good. Accidents happen. Uh, he would ask Melo, though, did he see who attacked him, though? Because Melo last week said that he got attacked. Melo would admit that he didn't, but he doubles down on that it has to be Ilya Dragunov. And he would even try to get Williams, Trick, to tell him to add him to his uh, championship matchup at New Year's Evil to make it a triple threat against Ilya for the NXT championship. Now, Trick Williams, he would basically shut that idea down. He told Carmelo that, listen, I won the Iron Survivor Challenge. I get the NXT uh, title shot. And now you see Carmelo, he has to kind of like play it off in whatever. Trick would tell Carmelo that he wants to win his championship matchup in a one-on-one matchup the same way that Carmelo did, and he wants Melo to just be there for him. Melo says that he wants Ilya to pay, but he gets it, so you see that little dynamic between Trick and Melo again. Melo, he's trying to do anything he can to just weasel himself into that NXT Championship matchup, so we'll have to wait and see if he ultimately ends up uh, prevailing. Now, next up, we get the NXT champion, Ilya Dragunov, he comes to the ring. Ilya will say that he doesn't like being in between the whole Trick and Mello situation. He feels like a third wheel. But, hey, it is what it is. Um, he's the NXT champion. He's here to show the world who Ilya Dragunov is. And out walks Ridge Holland. Ridge Holland will come through the crowd with no music. Ridge is here because he has been struggling. As we know, he's been losing for the last couple of matches with his tag partner Butch and he's just trying to get his mojo back. He feels that he could be a main event guy, but he's been weighed down by the stigma that he's been suffering some unfortunate events, injury after injury, accident after accident, and he's here basically to redeem himself. He's here at NXT for redemption. And he's trying to, again, be a main event guy. And he wants to test himself against the measuring stick of Ilya Dragunov. Ilya would look at Ridge and ask him, hold up, you're not trying to get a title shot, are you? Ridge would say, I'm not 
that guy. I have too much respect for you, but I'm going to run through everybody to get basically at this moment again in this time for the NXT Championship. Ilya will tell him he doesn't need to do that. He can find out where he stands tonight, and you see Ilya and Ridge shake on it, and now they have a match later in the main event, those two non-title matchup. Now, next up, we had an NXT breakout tournament matchup. We had Dion uh, Lennox going against Lexus King. Lexus King would win the matchup by pinfall when he would hit a straight jacket swinging neckbreaker on Dion to win the matchup. So that's what it was. Dion, he had great poise in this. It was a real quick matchup, but Dion was able to get a couple moves off. But Lexus King, it was going to win. He was going to win. It was kind of predetermined there. Uh, after the match, Trey Bearhill, the guy that Lexus King uh, attacked last week with a chair in the back to basically take Trey's spot in this tournament, will come down to the ring with a chair and threaten Lexus King with the chair. And Lexus would uh, leave the ring and run out. So you see this thing between Lexus and Trey. This is not going to end. I have a feeling that Trey is going to cost. Lexus a match in the NXT breakout tournament somewhere down the line. So I think that's where we're at with this. Next up, we had JC Jane and Thea Hill going against Izzy Dame and uh, Kiana James. Izzy and Kiana would win the match by pinfall when Izzy would hit uh, Thea Hill with a running knee for the win. See, the thing with this was that Thea Hill had Kiana James in a Kamora lock. And Kiana tapped out. However, Thea Hill didn't see that Kiana James tagged in Izzy before she got put in the Kamora lock. So when Thea Hill locked it in, she thought that Kiana James was the legal competitor. That was not the case. So that's how uh, Izzy and Kiana would win the matchup. So they're putting more into this new alliance between Izzy Dam and Kiana James. Where is this going to head? I have no idea. This probably could lead to what Kiana and, well, not Kiana, but Kaden and Katana coming down to NXT to probably uh, come make a home visit to NXT, their home. You can see Izzy Dam and Kiana James challenging for the tag titles, like somewhere down the line, maybe that's going to be a thing, but we'll have to wait and see with that. But uh, yeah, I don't know where it's coming at with this alliance, but I think that's where we could be leading to next. Now, next up, we would see a segment where you see Andre Chase, Duke Hudson, playing dice with Out the Mud and Scripps. And Andre Chase, he's winning. He's constantly winning. He has money in his hands. Scripps tells him he needs to quit while he's ahead. Andre would reply with Scripps, tell him, listen, I'm on a roll. I know I can double this up. And Andre would look at Out the Mud and tell him, listen, how about next week? We have a tag matchup. You two going against me and Duke. If we win, I get to double my money. But if we lose, I will get to keep only the money that I came here with. So basically, I win. I win double my money. If I lose, I lose everything except the money that I came into this situation with. So Scripps will tell him, I'll do you better. If we win, I want to have a tag team title match. Well, I want my guys to have a tag team title match. Andre Chase, he would say, deal. But Duke Hudson would look at Andre and say, I don't think Tony's going to agree with that. Because Andre Chase is in so much debt to Tony D'Angelo and his family. 
and you see the woman that's been working under Tony D'Angelo walk up to Audrey Chase and say, see, you're writing a check your butt can't cash. So she ends up calling up Tony, telling Tony what Andre did. And you hear over the phone, nothing, but he's talking to, Tony's talking to the girl. The girl tells Andre Chase, you got it. You can make that. So we will have the match of Andre Chase and Duke Cousin going against Out the Mud. Not on this episode, probably in another next week or two weeks from now. Now, next up, we have the NXT North American Championship matchup being defended. We'll have Dragon Lee defending the title against Charlie Dempsey and Joe Coffey. Now, originally, it was supposed to be Dragon Lee going against one of the uh, members of Drew Gulak's uh, group. But apparently, Joe Coffey will come down. Joe Coffey gets himself inserted into this matchup to be a triple threat. And that's where we're at. Uh, Dragon Lee, he would retain his NXT North American Championship by pinfall by hitting Operation Dragon, or better known as Destino, on Charlie Dempsey to retain the NXT North American Championship. Now, there was a moment in this matchup where Joe Gacy was underneath the ring. You see uh, Joe Coffey dive out onto Dragon Lee and Charlie Dempsey. You see him throw both of the men back into the ring. Joe Gacy would pull Joe Coffey underneath the ring, and that's the last time that we see of Joe Coffey in this matchup. You see Dragon Lee and Charlie Dempsey go back and forth with one another. Dragon Lee will hit Charlie Dempsey with Operation uh, Dragon to retain the North American Championship. There you go. Now, after this, you see the post-match, Joe Gacy, he would get up from underneath the ring, uh, run to the back, and you see Drew Gulak's crew, the No Quarter Catch Crew, and I hate that name. They could have just called them the Catch Crew or something like that. Jesus. Um, beat up on Dragon Lee until Toro Cruz and Joaquin Wild of the LWO run out to make the save. So now we have the LWO on NXT. And again, I like the main roster guys coming down to NXT. Yeah, I like to see NXT guys go up to the main roster. I like this fusion that we have here. I like this. And again, I will constantly harp on this. If only we could have got this in black and gold era NXT. I guarantee you NXT, WWE, the whole shebang would have been a better product around that time. God, the wasted opportunity. But I'm glad we're getting it here. Um, we get that. I'm glad we got the LWO making the save uh, for Dragon Lee. And it seems that Dragon Lee might be a part of LWO next. That's where I think this whole thing is uh, leading up to. Now, next up, we have another NXT breakout tournament uh, matchup. We have uh, Luca Crucifino going against Tavion Heights. Tavion Heights would win the match when he would hit a spinning belly-to-belly suplex onto Crucifino to win the matchup. Nothing more needs to be said here. So Tavion Heights would advance in the men's breakout tournament. Now, next up, we would have um, Nikita Lyons going against Tatum Paxley. Nikita Lyons would win the match by pinfall, but hitting a spinning kick, then hitting her with a split-legged moonsault, not moonsault, God, split-legged drop onto Tatum to win the matchup. It is what it is. Uh, Nikita Lyons did this because Tata, Tatum attacked Nikita last week, and it still hasn't been understood why Tatum is trying to really cozy up to uh, Lara Valkyria. So that's the reason why we got this matchup here. Hopefully we get something later down the line, but we have to wait and see. Next up, we have a tag matchup of Gallus 
Mark Coffey and Wolfgang going against Hank Walker and Tank Ledger. Uh, Gallus would win the match by pinfall when you see Mark Coffey hit, I believe it's Hank Walker with a running insecurity to win the matchup here. Eh, it is what it is. It was a tag matchup here. I like Gallus. I like Hank and Tank. It was cool, but like, I. Next up, we will have the main event. We will have Ilya Dragunov going against Rich Holland. This match would end in a no contest. And it ends in a no contest when Bridge would hit Ilya with a brain buster. And it looks that Ilya is like, he's looks like he's having a seizure in the ring. His body's like in one movement. His hands are like in an angle and his body just like constantly like kind of twitching a little bit. The referee will have to run over to Ilya, see if he's all good. Uh, you see the medics and people run into the ring. They will get Ilya on a stretcher. Ridge is over there in the corner, have his hands on his head. And again, we are at this moment where we're playing into real life with Ridge constantly hurting people. Ridge hurt Biggie. Ridge hurt uh, was my man from... Pretty deadly. I believe it's Elton Prince. But all those were by accident. And now we're adding those. Those real life. Situations to the storyline here. When he said that he had. Injury after injury. Accident after accident. We're playing into this now. And now we're going to add uh, Ilya up to this. So now with Ilya being stretched out. We got to see where this. Story leads into. Will Trick be able to get his NXT championship. Matchup against Ilya. At New Year's Evil, where does this leave Trick? Where does this leave Ilya? We'll have to wait and see all what will happen at New Year's Evil, or even next week. We'll have to wait and see what goes down. But NXT would end with Ilya being stretched out, and again, this is where we, this is where we really have to question some things. Or should they try to use this storyline? Should they? Try to use this storyline with someone that actually did hurt people by accident with someone like a Ridge. People might say, well, they're doing that with Naya, but Naya's doing a program with someone that she broke her nose with, and that was by accident, but that breaking of the nose actually made that person more popular and more famous. Ridge isn't doing a program with someone that he, what, injured, and he made them more popular and popping after that injury. That didn't happen here. Ridge is here trying to make a redemption story and now he ended up hurting someone again. So I'm not certain what type of story we're trying to do here. Again, this is where the times one of those real rare instances where you got to really weigh your options out and what you're doing. And again, I know I'm pretty sure WWE is going to figure out how they're going to turn this storyline into, well, not cringe into something that's profitable, but we'll have to wait and see what happens. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. But anywho, that was your WWE NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move over to AEW Dynamite. This is their Holiday Bash special. And on this episode of AEW Dynamite, we would find out basically the conclusions for the Continental Classic on the Gold League to see who will be making it into the finals of the Gold League, who will be the A, uh, A1 and A2 of the Gold League. However, there will be a twist to that, and I'll mention that towards the end. However... When we first start the show, we have uh, Roosh versus Swerve Strickland. 
Strickland's at nine points, Roosh at six points. If Strickland wins, he will be tying with John Moxley at 12 points. If Roosh wins, he'll be at nine points, killing Swerve's uh, advantage for that. Swerve would pull out the win by hitting a Swerve stomp onto Roosh to get those extra three points to get 12 tying with Moxley. Um, this was a good back and forth match with Swerve and Roosh and everybody in this match. Again, just like Moxley last week, it was a good 70-30. People were cheering for Swerve and certain people were cheering for Moxley, but more it was for Swerve. Swerve and Roosh, they had a good match with one another. They have history with one another. They even played it up on uh, Twitter with each other, but Strickland and Roosh just went out there and just had a great opening match to start the show. Um, this, I feel, could be a thing if they want to continue that. Roosh, he showed his tail in the Continental Classic. Again, people were feeling Roosh, but just when he, he went against those bigger names that are bigger than him, as in the Jay Whites, uh, the Moxley, and Swerve, it just, the people were more onto the opposition side. Roosh is still a big threat. He could be a major competitor in the main event and even the mid-title scene for AEW. It's just that they got to continuously put more effort behind Roosh. And I think this whole content of the classic for Roosh is to let people know if you slept on him or you don't know who he is, you now have a uh, beginner's course and an introduction to who Roosh actually is. Roosh is a fierce, no-nonsense Constantly going at you type guy, and I like the way that he was able to move through the throughout this whole content of the classic, but he ends it with six points. Now, after this, we get a Chris Jericho promo backstage. Chris Jericho talks about how him and Kenny Omega's uh, match with Big Bill and Ricky Starks is kind of at a halt right now because Kenny Omega has uh, diverticulitis. Kenny Omega is on rest. He's got to get himself together. He's out indefinitely. Chris Jericho let the fans know that. The whole fans would be cheering, saying, uh, get well, Kenny. So again, AEW has the back of Kenny Omega and the fans love Kenny Omega. So I'm glad they were able to do that. So again, it still puts the tag team title match that's supposed to happen at World's End in question mark to see who will be going against uh, Big Bill and Ricky Starks for the tag titles. Now, next after this, we'll have another Continental Classic matchup in the Gold League. It will pit Mark Briscoe going against Jay Lethal. Both men are at a donut, meaning no points, meaning that somebody in this match was going to get three points. Mark Briscoe would end up with three points, and he would not finish with a donut, while Jay Lethal, on the other hand, would finish with zero points. And you know the funny part about this? They hyped up, not hyped up, they played the history of Mark Briscoe and Jay Lethal they talk about how they have a friendship of 20 years of knowing one another. And they even play back in like a little small video form of the match they had earlier this year to dedicated towards Jay Briscoe at his passing. And I like how they played that with these two guys. Now, the story of this match was Mark Briscoe. This is his first time really just being a singles competitor fully strictly because as we know, Jay Briscoe passing. Mark Briscoe is now alone. He has to do the singles thing. He's no longer doing tag team wrestling. So uh, commentary would let everyone know that Mark Briscoe isn't taking this Continental Classic as hard because when you are at zero points, you are trying to thrive. You're trying to be upset. You're being disappointed. Mark Briscoe isn't that because this is basically rookie year of being a singles competitor. 
While on the other hand, Jay Lethal, Jay Lethal is a seasoned competitor. He's been doing one-on-ones for a long period of time. While he he's coming into this match with a chip on his shoulder, but the chip that he wants to still prove that to everyone who he truly is. The franchise, Jay Lethal, the guy that took Ring of Honor to certain heights, the guy that was able to hold on to the television title longer than anyone until Samojo broke that record this past year. And also the guy that holds the collective uh, combined title days as Ring of Honor champion, that Jay Lethal. He wants to prove who that guy is. And commentary team, again, being pivotal in this, would say that Jay Lethal looks like he's gaining some confidence after going through so many losses. But in those losses, he's been gaining those confidence to find a real him back. And now that he doesn't need, like, Jeff Jarrett and Sondam Singh and Karen Jarrett and Sanjay Dutt, and he wasn't looking for them in this match like he was doing previously. Uh, Mark Briscoe, he would win by hitting the Jay Driller on Jay Lethal to win the match again. Hitting the Jay Driller, again, a nice touching uh, tribute to his brother Jay. And I also like how Jay Lethal hit the Jay Driller because, again, Jay Lethal, he knew the Briscoe. So I think him hitting the Jay Driller was kind of poetic in a way. But, um... Those two guys had a great match with one another. Mark Briscoe and Jay, uh, Jay Lethal know each other so well. They started off nice and heavy. And again, they just continued on. And I like that Mark Briscoe got three points. Now, where does this leave for Jay Lethal? I think we're going to play into Jay Lethal getting his own self back and kind of winging himself off of Jeff Jarrett, Karen, and Sanjay Dutt, and even probably going into a program with Jeff Jarrett, if I'm going to be honest. But... We'll have to wait and see. And I did like how after the match, you saw Jay and Mark Briscoe shake hands going back to their Ring of Honor uh, days. Now, after this, we will have Samoa Joe coming down to the ring and get a microphone. And Samoa Joe is out here because last week, Heyman Page got attacked by the Devil's Goons. And last week was the time where Samoa Joe called out Hangman Page because he thought Hangman attacked MGF a week before. Now, Samoa Joe is starting to go over certain things that even Roderick Strong last week kind of got a point at and that how we got footage of everyone getting attacked except for MGF who was just laid out. So when Smojo would say this, I walked the AEW world champion, MJF. MJF would come to the ring and he would ask Smojo if he's a devil because Smojo is supposed to be MJF's protector until world's end because in Smojo's words, MGF is his property and MJF what is supposed to stay healthy until World's End because Samojo wants to stay tied off of MGF when there's no excuses. So you have this scenario between the two guys. They're both throwing accusations and it looks like they're about to get into something. But you will see some men run down to the ring all in black gear. Uh, Samojo and MGF will stand back to back with each other. They'll start throwing the guys out of the ring, beating up on other guys, throwing them out. And then you will see four guys running from the crowd into... Well, basically around the ring. And again, they're still covered in black. They have the devil's like little mask signature on their back of their jacket. And they're surrounding the ring. They don't get into the ring because the lights will go out. And then they'll start uh, hitting a spotlight in the middle of the ring. And on the screen, you would see uh, some words appear. Where do you go? Who can you trust? And it would say, will you accept a challenge for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championships next week? Are you a hero, Max? So the lights will pop on, and Max would ask Samojo again to be his partner because he made a promise to Adam Cole to keep the titles until he comes back. 
Samojo, without hesitation, will take the mic and say that he is going to accept and that the best way to beat the devil is to put hands on his boys. So again, by trying to eliminate some of the devil's henchmen, we'll probably get inches closer towards finding out who the devil is. So that's the reason why Samojo would accept this challenge. Now, this wouldn't be the last time we will see MGF and Samoa Joe uh, around because later in the night, you will see those two have a backstage segment. Those two would get into a disagreement. Samoa Joe will go one way. MGF will go another. As MGF is walking, he sees a black mask on the ground and he picks it up. And the black mask is close to the Mogul Embassy's locker room. So MGF would walk over to the Mogul's Embassy locker room, knock on the door, Prince Nana will come out and MJF would just grab up Nana and start getting at him and just asking him and grilling him questions. Swerve would walk out and he would tell MJF to let go of Nana. And then Swerve would tell Nana to get back into the room. And Swerve would tell MJF, don't ever lay hands on my property again. Now you get this nice interaction between Swerve and MJF. And Swerve is basically telling MJF, you've been ducking me. You've been ducking me ever since I got here. And now I'm glad to finally see you face to face now. And again, they bring up how they have like some history from the independent days and you get little bars thrown between one another. And Jeff would say to Swerve, I remember us going up and down on the roads and I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're finally at this point. I'm glad of you, bud. But here's the deal. I wasn't ducking you. It's just that whenever you're at this level. You know, there's different levels of this, and I'm at the top, and you're just not quite there yet. So Swerve, he would take a, take that jab, and he'd be like, okay, well, I remember those conversations that we had on the road, right? Yeah, I remember those. You would be my chauffeur. Man, I got a nice sleep on those drives, man. You did great driving. Thank you for that. And then you get Swerve reminding MGF of his, basically, of a failure for not getting signed to WWE, while him, on the other hand, he got signed. He would bring up MGF uh, having a tryout, but failing to get one while he got a tryout, signed, and he basically just throws out, you do tryouts, I sign contracts. So again, you get this nice little dynamic between the two, and you see that AEW's putting some eggs into the basket with Swerve, and this is what everybody's been clamoring for since Swerve's beat Hangman, and Swerve's getting this like light shined on him so well. Nicely done, by the way. And NJF would look like he's about to get close to close with Swerve, but Swerve would just back up a little bit and his door will open up and you see the rest of the Mogul Embassy. You see Brian Cage, you see the Gaze of Agony standing there with Nana. And Samoa Joe would have to walk up and grab Max and say, me and my partner, we got somewhere to be. And then Swerve would say, go ahead, get along then. So you see NJF walk away. Samoa Joe, he doesn't break eye contact with Swerve. And he just walks away himself. So again, I think we're going to get Swerve start grabbing into that main event picture here. And then after they leave, you see Nana walk over to Swerve and he tells him, I forgot to tell you something, boss. I forgot to tell you about something that happened on Collision. And what he's mentioning is how Brian Cage had a match on Collision. And after the match, they go backstage. He's supposed to have an interview. But Keith Lee will walk up on Brian Cage and he will tell him, you need to tell him that time's ticking and I'm coming. And Keith Lee is referring to Swerve. So I think Nana was breaking that information to Swerve that Keith Lee is coming after him. And I'm glad that they're picking up on that 
Swerve and Keith Lee business that they dropped earlier this year. Again, it could have been be because of health complications that uh, Keith Lee was dealing with earlier this year. It could not be, but I'm glad they're actually reigniting that feud and, uh, again, putting a bright light on both Swerve and Keith Lee. I'm glad about that. Now, moving on for that, we would go over to Riho going against Soraya for the number one contenders for the AEW Women's Championship. You'll have Tony Storm, who is the champion, on commentary for this matchup. Riho, she would win the match by pinfall by hitting a running uh, Meteora onto Soraya to become the number one contender. Solid match between both of the ladies. This is the first time I've seen Soraya had a match at some time. And I'm glad that she's at least doing something. Um, after the match, you see Tony Storm get in the ring and have a little monocle and just stare up at Riho. But then Riho would hit Tony with a forearm, uh, get her with a drop toho, and then hit the 619 on her. Tony would roll out of the ring, and you see Luther grab Tony. And then Mariah May, who is Tony's quote unquote understudy, quote unquote slash fan, run into the ring, grab the women's championship, hit Riho with it, and lay her out. Tony Storm, she's still not technically associated with Mariah May, but you can see somewhere down the line that they're going to really like have Tony accept her. So I like how we're going with this. I hope that they continue with this, and I like that Tony is still continuing this timeless Tony Storm character, this whole moniker, because the fans are loving it. Um, but yeah, Riho will be going against Tony Storm for the AWM's Championship at uh, World's End. Now, after this, we would have Commander going against Roderick Strong. Roderick Strong would win the match by hitting End of Heartache to win the match. Saw the match between Commander and Roderick Strong. Nothing more needs to be said about that. After the match, Roderick Strong would say that MGF is the devil. It's time for people to wake up and believe him. So again, we're getting more into AO. Roddy is still trying to let people know Max is the devil. Believe him. You guys got to trust him. But again, we're still on that bandwagon. We'll see what happens with that. Then we move over to the main event. Switchblade, Jay White going against John Moxley for uh, their final matches in the Continental Classic Gold League side. Jay White, he stands at 9. Moxley, he stands at 12. And Moxley wins. He just blows out everybody in the Continental Classic for the Gold side, beating everyone. With, uh, he'll end with 15 points. But if Switchblade wins, he gets a tie-up, and it'll be a three-way tie between Moxley and Swerve with 12 points. And that is what actually happens. When Moxley and Jay White will be, like, constantly towards the end of the match, battling out, reversing out of each other's signature move, John Moxley would try to hit the paradigm shift onto uh, Jay White. Matter of fact, let me rephrase that. The Death Rider, because the Death Rider is a high-angled version of the Paradigm Shift, the Double Hook DDT. But once he got his, uh, Jay White into the air, Jay White would float over, land on his feet, turn John Moxley around and hit the Blade Runner to win the match. Solid match, great match between John Moxley and Jay White. People were feeling this match, people were loving this match, and Jay White towards the end was going after John Moxley's knee and clipping him from behind. So you start seeing that Moxley's knee was starting to uh, buckle towards the end of the match. So this is going to play into next week. Because now, next week on Dynamite, we will have a three-way match between Moxley, Jay White, and Swerve. And the winner of that will go off into the finals of the Continental Classic, meeting the Blue League uh, winner. And those two will face off to see who's going to be the Triple Crown champion 
of AEW. So again, we got to wait and see for that, who what will happen next week with all three men's collide. I'm happy for that because I like the way out this whip. Because two weeks ago, Swerve got beat by John Moxley. Uh no 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 no. Two weeks ago, my bad. Two weeks ago, John Moxley, no no no, Swerve beat Jay White. There we go. Then last week, Swerve lost to John Moxley. And now this week, John Moxley loses to Jay White. So all three of them have a story of I have one man beating the other, but not the other. And that's how this whole thing is going. And I like that because, again, next week is the ultimate. Somebody has to win, and they'll be able to hang that over the other two guys after this tournament. So you can have Jay White, who's the showboater, winning. That could be something. You could have Swerve winning it, which I don't think people will mind that. You have Moxley win it, who I don't think people will mind because he's been like a flag bearer of AEW since he's got there and like been their ace for any time something goes wrong. They always can call Moxley. So again, it's not a bad choice on any of these three guys, but if it was up to me, I probably would choose. And it might be unpopular. I'm going with Jay White for this. Swerve, he got to finish his business with Keith and then we can start him off with something with MJF. I don't want him to be holding around three championships and then that be diverting him from the mission of going after MJF for the world championship. John Moxley, I mean, it'll be straight. It'll be great. But I think that with Jay White, who has a history with New Japan, because the New Japan strong championships on the line, I think him having ties with that championship, him having ties with that promotion and him possibly able to go back to that promotion if he does win this whole thing is something that they could play with. And that also strengthen the bond between AEW and New Japan. Um, I think that would be great. But again, I think it's probably Jay White, but we'll have to wait and see for that. Now, with that being said, that was your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, we go off to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with AJ Styles coming to the ring. AJ Styles is wearing black jeans, black uh, shoes, black gloves. He's not wearing his traditional wrestling gear here. AJ would get on the mic and say that Randy wants Roman at Royal Rumble. Uh, LA Knight wants Roman any place, anytime, anywhere. And he doesn't blame either one of them, but he doesn't care about either one of them because... When it comes to Roman Reigns, he's first in line. Now, when he says that line, out pops L.A. Knight. L.A. Knight will tell A.J. that he's the first person on his list because A.J. attacked him last week. So you got this little beef between these two. Styles would say, have you forgotten that you stepped over my body to end up tagging with John Cena that propelled you into getting a match with Roman Reigns? And he's talking about when A.J. Styles got took out. It was supposed to be A.J. and John. Going against the bloodline, but once the bloodline took out AJ, LA Knight stepped up. So he's recalling that moment. Now you have this friction between LA Knight and AJ Styles in the ring. Out walks Randy Orton. He says everyone has their own personal issues with the bloodline, but they are the guys that put him on the shelf for 18 months. So he wants to get at them way better than LA Knight and AJ Styles. So you got all these two, three guys just out here wanting to get at the bloodline, and you know where this is all headed to. So we get the SmackDown general manager, Nick Aldis. Nick Aldis will say he has a solution to all these men's problem. He will create a triple threat match on New Year's Revolution, or Resolution, one or the two. That's the first episode of SmackDown of the New Year 2024. It will be AJ Styles versus LA Knight versus Randy Orton in a three-way number one contenders match. So we got that introduction. We got that 
uh, conclusion. And he also would say that AJ Styles will be also going against Sosagoa tonight. So you got that already settled up. So you kind of can guess what kind of mayhem is going to happen later in the show. Now, going off later into the show, you'll get this backstage moment where you have Roman Reigns in his locker room with Sosakoa, who's getting a pep talk from Jimmy Uso, and Solo's not really paying attention to Jimmy. Roman would tell Paul to fetch Nick Aldis for him. Paul Heyman would try to tell Roman that Nick Aldis isn't like Adam Pierce. He's not like him, where Adam Pierce he would succumb to Roman Reigns' uh commands and like his offers and orders. Nick Aldis isn't like that. Roman would say, bring him to me. So we would get Nick Aldis coming to Roman's locker room. At this point, Jimmy and Solo's gone. Roman would tell Paul to leave us. Paul will leave. Now you get this little back and forth between Roman and Nick Aldis. And Nick Aldis, he isn't showing any signs of nervousness. He's showing all like stance of poise and confidence when he goes against Roman in this word of wars, well, war of words. And Roman is basically telling Nick how things work around here, how you have to bypass things by me. You have to get the orders from me. Nick Aldis will tell him, I'm the general manager of SmackDown. The book stops with me. I don't, I don't have to answer your orders at all. As a matter of fact, you have to answer orders from me. So you get Nick Aldis putting Roman in his place right here. And he tells him, I hope we have more chats like this going down the line. And he will leave. And you see Roman just sitting there with little fumes. Because this is the first person that's actually challenging Roman Reigns' authority, who is an authoritative figure. So you know we're going to get more Nick Aldis, Roman Reigns' business before Nick Aldis' time as a general manager might be up. Now, moving off of that, we get to the first match of the night. We have Bianca Belair, Mia Yim, Shotzi, and Selena Vega going against Damage Control in a Holiday Havoc matchup, which is basically no holes barred in its uh, Christmas theme. You got the Kendo Stakes wrapped up in um, Kendo, nah, uh, Candy Cane uh, pattern. You have the Christmas trees like around the ring, all that type of good stuff. Um... Team Bianca would win the match thanks to Meechin putting Eo Sky through a table by hitting a senton off the top rope, smashing Eo through the table. Now, in this match, you would have the returning of uh, Alba Fire and Isla Dawn, who would attack Asuka and Kyrie Sane. Because Asuka and Kyrie Sane, they already had their eyes locked onto the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship, and that's the titles that Isla Dawn and Alba Fire lost to Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler earlier this year, and they never really got their rematch for those. So I can see if anybody's going to be challenging for those tag titles, they have to go through Isla Dawn and Alba first. So that's the reason why I think they went after Asuka and Kyrie, but we don't really get an explanation from that. We're probably going to wait till uh, New Year's episode of SmackDown to find out what happens. But also, this puts into motion that you know medium is probably going to get a championship opportunity at EO Sky probably at the Royal Rumble or probably at the first episode of SmackDown of the new year again all these things will probably be carried out probably next week on SmackDown maybe but we'll all wait and see now after this the next match that will happen is Dragon League going against Butch for the NXT North American Championship 
Dragon Lee, he would win the match by pinfall by Operation Dragon, which is, again, the Destino, for people that are not familiar to the name Operation Dragon, on to Butch to retain his NXT North American Championship. Solid match between both of these guys. This is a NXT-level matchup here that they put on the main roster. As a matter of fact, this is an NXT like takeover-style matchup that they put on the main roster. Everybody... Uh, enjoyed it from my understanding. I saw the match. It was good. It was what you would want in someone that's trying to bring credibility to himself holding the championship the way that Dragon Lee's doing it. And I'm liking that. And also with Butch, he's kind of by himself because Ridge, as you know, he was on NXT this week. And Butch, he's kind of just trying to find his way. And again, we're still at the point of where is Sheamus? I have no idea where Sheamus is. Is he injured is he just sitting out for a little bit we have no idea what is going on but hopefully uh we get some type of answer of what's going down with Sheamus hopefully um after this we go to Carmelo Hayes going against Kevin Owens in the semifinals of the WWE United States Championship number one contenders tournament you will have Kevin Owens beating Carmelo Hayes with a stunner to go into the finals uh Kevin Owens Carmelo Hayes had a good match with Carmelo Hayes having a good match against Grayson Waller last week, having a good match with Kevin Owens this week, it shows that some people on the main roster are looking at Carmelo Hayes. And even on commentary, they were pumping him up as one of the guys who's going to be a future champion in the WWE, which is the main roster. And again, people are hyped up on Carmelo. Did anybody think Carmelo was going to beat Kevin Owens? I don't think so. Because we're going to lead into Kevin Owens going against Logan Paul, because that's where we're getting to this. But Carmelo Hayes, he was able to show out and have a good match with Kevin Owens. And uh, bravo to Carmelo Hayes. Now, next up, we would get another uh, semifinals matchup of the United States. Uh, no more to the tournament. We have Bobby Lashley going against Santos Escobar. Bobby Lashley will be out here with the Street Profits by his side. However, Santos Escobar would win the match by pitfall thanks to a interruption from two masked men. When Bobby Lashley was dominating Santos, and it looks like Bobby is about to hit a move, you will see two masked men jump the barricade and start beating up on the Street Profits. Now, with this distraction, Bobby Lashley will look at the Street Profits. Santos would roll up Bobby Lashley with a schoolboy and hold him to the tights to win the match and advance to the finals. And after the match, you see that the two masked men stayed beside Santos would unmask himself and their Humberto Carrillo and Angel Garza. So you got this new faction, and it's great. Santos, uh, Humberto, and Angel, they all come from lineage or a legacy of wrestling families. And just to have this group come together is great because the LWO, they're not pulling nothing. If the Rey Mysterio is not there, they're not really pulling nothing. So I can see this being a rebuilding stage for Santos. Santos can say, we're the real LWO. We're a group of people that's going to be standing beside one another, and that's really going to be backing one another, unlike the fake LWO, my fake familia. So again, I can see them pulling that type of card when they want to do it. But um, I'm glad that we got Angel, Santos, and Humberto now as a group now. But the thing that's left a question mark is, what's Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits going to do? Because they've been trying to put Street Profits and Bobby as a group, as a dominant force for SmackDown. And the fans, they're not booing them. 
the fans love the profits. The fans love Bobby Lashley. It's just not going to work that way. They're three good guys that's trying to be bad guys. It's just not happening. We could have did it some time ago with the Street Profits, and I think people would have uh, enjoyed seeing a heelish version of the Profits the way that they kind of do now. But I think earlier, if they would have pulled the switch, you would have gotten a crowd booing the Profits the way that you want them to for this. So right now, again, this leaves with a big question mark since Bobby Lashley's out of the tournament. Where does this leave him and the Profits? One will uh, never know. Now, on to the main event, AJ Styles versus Solo Sokoa. AJ would win by disqualification because Roman Reigns, he would come out. Roman Reigns would beat up on AJ Styles, and then you know what's coming up next. Uh, Randy Orton, he would come out. So it's 2-1-2 two two until Jimmy Uso comes out. Jimmy Uso would join his uh, brother and cousin to beat up on AJ and Randy until LA Knight comes out. LA Knight comes out, it's an even playing field, 3-on-3. Three Three good guys would make the bloodline retreat out of the ring. And now you get this moment where all three of the good guys, Randy, AJ, and Ellie Knight, will look at one another. AJ would tell them, I told you guys to not interfere in my match because you guys are going to get hurt. And Ellie Knight and Randy are both kind of like saying, yo, you were getting your butt kicked. If it wasn't for us, you would have got your butt kicked. AJ, he wouldn't take it anymore, and he just starts hitting Ellie Knight. Ellie Knight will start getting at AJ. Randy will try to... Get in between. Uh, Knight will push Randy off of him. And now Randy's into it. Now it's a three-man just brawl. And that's how SmackDown will end. Sometimes wrestling programs need to end with chaos with a brawl to bring the fans in. And hope for them to want more. And I'm glad that they did that for SmackDown here. Again, the three-way dance between Randy, LA, and AJ. That's going to be a good one. If I had to have a winner my pick personally... I think we would probably go with a, uh, we can go with AJ Styles and save Randy for overseas with him going against uh, Roman at Elimination Chamber. I don't think anybody would really be uh, scoffing at that. But if they go with Randy to face Roman at the Royal Rumble, it only leaves you with AJ in Perth. And I think, again, with the international market, you have to build AJ up back then to make the people really care for AJ the way that they care for Randy. Randy is a staple. Randy is a legend legend in WWE. Now, anywhere he goes, he's going to get a pop. So, if they were smart, I would say just have AJ win this. AJ goes against Roman at the Rumble and have Randy do it at the Elimination Chamber in Australia. But that's just me. Now, with that being said, that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over to AEW Rampage. We start off with Orange Cassidy going against Rocky Romero for the AEW International Championship. Orange Cassidy would retain his championship by pinfall by hitting Romero with an orange punch, then a beach break for the three count. Orange Cassidy, he retains the AEW International Championship. Not a bad match between both of these two gentlemen. Um, the funny thing about this was that Trent Beretta, he was out, like, outside the ring. He was watching the match, and he's friends with both Orange Cassidy and he's friends with Rocky Romero. One could say he was friends with Rocky Romero before he was friends with Orange Cassidy. So you can see that he probably is leaning more for Rocky to win the title off of Orange. But you don't really see that here. Um, Orange and Rocky, they went at it toe-to-toe. Orange Cassidy, you're starting to see him get more aggressive. Because he wants to hold on to the AEW International Championship. A championship that he holds in high prestige now. 
since he lost it to Moxley, he doesn't want to lose it again. He gets a little bit aggressive with Rocky, and I like that we're seeing this. Hopefully, we get more of this going into the future with Orange Cassidy, but that's just me. Now, next up, we would have the Kingdom going against the Hardys. Uh, the Kingdom would win the match by pinfall when Matt Taven would hit Matt Hardy with a roll-up to get the win by three because Matt Hardy was outside of the ring and he grabs a chair and he wants to hit Mike Bennett with it. You can tell Matt Hardy's starting to get a little bit tired and he's starting to get aggressive more because Matt Hardy has said it on Twitter that he feels that him and his brother could be used more in AEW. And with him now having this match against the Kingdom and him losing here, you can see the frustration coming out of him more. And even with Jeff Hardy, Jeff Hardy even took off his wrestling boot and used it as a uh, weapon to hit Matt Bennett with this. And I don't remember Jeff even taking off a boot to hit anybody with it. So that tells you that the Hardys are at a high frustration level. And I'm pretty sure we're going to get more of this leading into the future. I hope that we get the private party. Uh, coming back with Mark Quinn and Isaiah Cassie going against the Hardys. I think that will be a great way to show off a team that is so respected by the wrestling fans that they don't feel that respect. They feel kind of a little bit disrespected as the Hardys going against a team that idolizes the Hardys, that's been around the Hardys, as in Isaiah Cassidy, Mark Quinn. You can have this friendly one-on-one tag match with one another, and the Hardys start to get aggressive. I mean, like, overly aggressive. And that will make the fans actually boo the Hardys and cheer for Private Party. You kill two birds with one stone. You get the Hardys to be booed. You get the Hardys to be mad at everyone. You get them to have the light shine on them. But also they give the rub and shine onto Private Party. I'm just saying that idea for when Mark Quinn does come back. We have no idea if he is back, if he is ready again. But that's my dream for that to happen. That's just me. Now. On to the next matchup, we have Sky Blue going against Queen Amita. Sky Blue would win the match by submission when she would hit a TKO and then float over into a Dragon Sleeper on Amita and make Amita tap out. Uh, Sky Blue, she's now aligned herself with Julia Hart. So we're going to see a more aggressive side of Sky Blue. More, I'm not going to say dangerous because I don't think Sky Blue is going to do anything dangerous. I just think we're going to see her more hitting people forcefully, more doing things with malice, and just have more meaning to her moves. And her hitting the TKO, then floating over to the Dragon Sleeper, it was a nice uh, little maneuver here. Hopefully she keeps that, but we'll have to wait and see. Now, off to the main event, you have El Higo, El Hio Del Vikingo going against Black Tarus for the AAA Mega Championship. Vikingo would retain his AAA Mega Championship by hitting a 630 centon onto Black Tarus. Again, if you don't know who Black Tarus is, he's a guy that I've been watching on Impact Wrestling for, I believe, now. A uh, year, two years now that I've been saying constantly, yo, I don't understand how he has not been picked up on a major, like, major wrestling program. He is too big of a guy. He moves too quick. He is one of those guys that's a big lucha libre that he can be on a WWE and change the game for how people look at people under a mask. Or he can go to AEW and he can stack himself with the Ray Phoenix, the Pentagon, the uh, God Commander, the 
gravities. I mean, he can compete himself with those type of guys and also compete with other individuals with the Rouge and Drillistico and Andrade and even with people like Eddie Kingston or Moxley or now the uprising star himself, Swerve Strickland. I mean, Black Rouge, he is a guy that I'm not understanding how he is inside of them. I'm not certain if he's still with Impact Wrestling because I know Impact has a partnership kind of with AAA. So that's how they're able to get Black Tarus in. But Black Tarus and Vikingo, they did what they had to do. They're, they're good at what they do. They had a match at Final Battle, and I heard that match was good. I got to watch the Final Battle program to see it. But I saw a little bit of highlights, and again, it was great. So I think they just basically kind of not say wash or repeat, but they probably did their match here, but probably changed a couple steps to add some refreshers into it. And we had a great match again for Vikingo and Black Tarus. So Vikingo, he's still the AAA Mega Champion. And now Black Tarus, hopefully he gets a bigger uh, contract, either from AAA or he moves over to one of the big stations. That's just my personal opinion on Black Tarus. I'm a big fan. I like what he does. And hopefully he gets to shine more. That's my personal opinion on Black Tarus. Now, with that being said, that was your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And, oh yeah, before I get you guys out of here, I do have to mention that next week won't be me basically talking about what went down on every episode of uh, Raw, SmackDown, the usual as I do. Next week, I'll be doing my year recap of each branded shows from your Raw, your SmackDown, the NXT, the AEW Dynamite, I'm not going to say Rampage, because Rampage is his own little thing, and Impact Wrestling. AEW as a whole, I'll be doing a big thing on that one, but uh, I'm going to do my year-end review on each of these situations, and I'm going to give my uh, year-end awards for WWE's um, Superstar of the Year, Female Superstar of the Year, AEW Female Superstar of the Year, uh wrestler of the year, the usual awards that I've been doing. This will be the third year I'm doing this now, and I'll be doing that next year, so expect that from next week's episode of the Wrestling Highlights of the Week. So, with you now knowing this, just want to get you guys up for that. Um, I think that's it. If you guys did not listen to my midweek episode, it is available to you now. You can go ahead, can go listen to that right now. And I have a Sunday episode dropping tomorrow. So you guys can listen to that as well. Sunday episodes of me talking about anything and everything that happened in the news media. But with it being Christmas Eve, I probably won't be talking about too many of those things. I'll probably be talking about Christmas and stuff like that. But uh, with that being said, this has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Presented by My Two Cents Podcast. Hosted by G2. He is I and I am him. Hope you guys have a great rest of your Saturday uh, morning, day, night, whatever it is. And enjoy yourself. Enjoy your rest of your holiday of vacation. God bless. You'll hear from me later.